So Psalm 127 is the eighth psalm in the collection, the Psalms of Ascent, that we are exploring during our Walking Together series over these few Sundays. Two more to go after today. Sung by God's people as they walked together, they journeyed together towards Jerusalem. Their songs, psalms that open up all sorts of different things for us, reflections on the nature of God, and they speak to us about what it's like to live a life of faith. And they capture for us, as well, something of the essence of what it means to be a worshipping community, of walking our journey of faith together. And so Psalm 127 is a song used by the pilgrims travelling together that acknowledges their dependence on God, which I guess is emphasised by the fact, too, that they're making this journey to Jerusalem. And they do that for the festivals. It's something they make the time and space and effort to do. And the psalm, as it was read to us, um, neatly falls into two parts. The first talking about work and labour and doing things in vain. And the second talking about children. I think it's not ironic that it puts um, the blessing of sleep and the blessing of children together in that psalm. The thinking that seems to unite the two parts of the psalm seems to be around God's blessing. Work and family, whatever either of those might look like, were the two dimensions of life for the people of Israel, as they are for many of us today. For them, their life was set up in the social unit of the family, and this was then supported by their work. And neither their work nor their family were immune from challenges. We know, too, how difficult it can be when there are stresses and challenges that impact us from all the different areas of our life at the same time. It seems to happen like that, doesn't it? Work is difficult, family is difficult, all at once. And for the people singing this psalm as they walk together, they lived the reality that their work was not always fruitful. Many of them would have been agricultural workers in insecure employment, and it was difficult. And then when they turned to their families, well, we can't begin to count the number of ways in which family life can be challenging, can we? But what there is, there's no part of their lives that they don't bring before God or seek to shape and orientate around things that God asks them to care about. The idea that we would have a spiritual part of our lives and the rest of our lives, like you could have work, family and church, as if it's a separate thing, is not something that the people singing this psalm would have recognised. It would have been a total anathema to the people of God in this time. You see, in Hebrew, there is no word for spiritual. There is no spiritual life and the rest of life. There is only life. God is in it all. And so I guess knowing that calls us to live lives of integrity and to be consistent, to not just be kind and patient and generous and committed to justice and care for the environment in some parts of our lives and not others. Is our, life some, is our faith something that shapes every aspect of our lives? Are there some parts of our lives that we keep separate and away from the challenges of Scripture and our life together. 
Is there a particular place in your life, a situation, a location, a relationship that perhaps you already have in mind when we think about this together today? This isn't all one-way traffic. It's not all about or even primarily about what, uh, how we live and what we do. But what this psalm tells us, more importantly than that, is it shows us that God is a God who can and does bless every area of our lives. Today in our dedication, we speak of the blessing of children, that blessing comes to home and to family, because Clara and Evan are exactly that, a wonderful, tremendous blessing from God. To Michelle, to Dave, to the Arnold family, to the Steele family, and to our church. And we know that God can and does bless us at work, at home, with our families, with good music, with the encouragement of friends, with beautiful flowers, with bars of dairy milk, and a whole host of other things that you might see as blessings in your life. It's still good and still helpful to count our blessings. But I think there's also something here which connects with what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the fields, flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own knowing that we need to build the proverbial house, we need God with us as we do it, has the capacity to release us from fear and worry. The challenge is to trust in God's capacity to provide, to own the truth that there is a saviour and it isn't you, and it isn't me. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Psalm 127 says, we need God to be involved in every area of our lives if we're to orientate our lives around the faith that we profess. But it also tells us that God can and does bless us in every area of life. All that being said, I have a few questions about what it says in this psalm. I wonder if you do too. 
The first is, whilst it sounds nice and simple to say that we need God to build the house, how do we know that it's God doing the building? How do we know when what we're doing is what God wants us to do? How are we to discern what God might require of us? It sounds simple, but really, it isn't. There are times when it can feel bewildering. How on earth do we know what God wants, what God might be saying? Where do we start? People talk about the will of God, walking in God's purposes. Well, what does that mean? And so we might head to the nearest Christian bookshop or website to try and find a book about how to know the will of God. Having first, of course, prayed about which book it is, the will of God, for us to read about the will of God, And before we know it, the whole thing gets very confusing. And so we worry. What if we make a wrong turn? What if we make a bad decision? What if we do something that we shouldn't? That we're going to be consigned to the proverbial scrap heap and be forced to live with second best for the rest of our lives. If we make a mistake, then our life won't be worth as much. Well, friends, the good news today is that just isn't how it works. It's never how Jesus talks about it. Ever. In fact, it's the opposite. When we screw up, when we make mistakes, which we will, we will. We can back up, we can change course, we can start again, we can safely find our way to new ground. Often we have this picture of a tightrope when we're talking about God's guidance, this narrow path, it's too easy to fall off, and so we're filled with this anxiety about staying on this piece of wire. When I think the reality that we see throughout scripture and the history of the church, is it's much more like the Garden of Eden, where there's lots of trees, millions, billions of trees, and there's just one that isn't a good idea. You might have five jobs you could be applying for. Perhaps all of them are okay with God, and you don't need to be het up about finding the one. Perhaps there is one of the five who would be detrimental to your health or your family, but the others would be okay. I don't think God is nearly as restrictive as we often talk about God being. And we've got to be careful not to get paralyzed from making any decisions at all in case we make them wrong. Ever lived in that moment? Do we end up doing nothing? Sometimes we just need to crack on in the knowledge that maybe is a mistake, but we trust in God's capacity to rescue us when we get it wrong. Of course, God can and does directly guide us through the scriptures through the work of the Holy Spirit, through other people, with an inner peace, with common sense, with events in our lives, and in a whole host of other ways. However we try to work, however we try to seek God's guidance, the truth is that there will not always be a definitive answer that comes in response. There are times when we feel so very certain about things, and times when we yearn for more clarity. It seems to me that perhaps more often than we would like, God puts the ball firmly back in our court. God replies with, what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? God's overall purpose for people, being a shining light, a prophetic community of love and kindness and patience and integrity and gentleness and creativity, a people seeking freedom and justice and hope to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. That's the big picture, but the particulars, I think God leaves us with more of that than often we'd like. 
It's our responsibility. The glory of God is often seen in a person fully alive. And so when we don't know what to do, I think a great place to start is what brings you life in this moment? And to start there. Is building the house bringing you life? But friends, I have another question, perhaps a more serious one, about this psalm. I don't even know if it's a question, really. Perhaps it's merely a wondering, and I invite you to wonder with me. What if your life doesn't look like that? What if work is hard? Or work is miserable? Or work is unsuccessful? Or work is impossible to find? What if family doesn't look like that. What if EastEnders has got nothing on your lot? What if you're unable to have children? What if the ones that you have have not been a great blessing to you? What if family for you is not a byword for safety and protection and love and support, but means and has meant something very different in your life? Does that not mean, does that mean that you're not blessed by God? Does that mean that God cares for you less? Why is it good here and in this person's life, but not here and in mine? Why does it work for them and not me? Have you ever asked those questions? It's okay if you have. Friends, if you're here this morning, and it's just not that easy for you to amen that psalm, it's the kind of psalm that people with picture postcard lives seem to like, then I want you to know that God knows exactly what your life is like, and God understands, and God sees. It's absolutely not the case that the most successful, or virile, or prominent, or photogenic are more favoured by God. Jesus tells us that the sun rises on the evil and the good, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, And more than anything else, we know it can't possibly be this way because we look and see what happens to Jesus. He was the most perfect person who ever walked the earth and his life isn't successful by any standard metric. He is our pattern and our guide. And in him we see a life that ends with him being mocked and beaten and nailed to a cross in humiliation. Friends, in that death and in his resurrection three days later, Jesus secures for all of us the opportunity and blessing of an eternity in God's presence. In the meantime, as we sit with the reality of our lives, whatever that may be, good, bad, somewhere in between, a mixture of both, I share with you very simply the only way I know how to hold all those things together. We count our blessings, not just yours or mine, but ours. We journey together, and we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. The temptation is to not rejoice, to not share the blessings, to not talk about them, because we're aware that not everybody has them. I was talking to a friend last week who was celebrating their golden wedding anniversary. Fantastic thing to celebrate. What an incredible thing. And yet they were almost embarrassed about talking about it because 
so many of their friends never had the opportunity to get as far as a golden wedding because things had happened in their life to make that not possible. I'm not sure that pretending their golden wedding isn't happening is the best way of dealing with the struggles and challenges that other people might have or in suffering. So we need to count our blessings and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But equally, we need to not shy away from what is hard. We don't pretend. We need to be able to be honest with each other and help each other. And so we need to be able to weep with those who weep. One of the things that I enjoy most, that I appreciate most about being part of a Christian community is it's a place where I don't have to pretend that everything's okay when it isn't. I hope and I pray that that is a reality for you too. You certainly don't have to pretend on my account, or Joe's, or Vicky's. We will love and serve and care exactly as you are. It doesn't matter. So we weep with those who weep. And above all else, we look again to the story of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, and remember a God who will always have been determined enough to do all it took to bless us with freedom and hope and new life in Christ. And so on the days when that is the foundation on which all the other wonderful blessings are built, may we rejoice even louder. And on the days when the truths of Jesus are all we have, may it be enough. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do indeed invite you to come and build in the house of our lives. Lord, we seek your guidance and your wisdom. Would you help us with tough decisions that we need to make? Would you show us the way to go? Would you be part, Lord, of every area of our lives? Help us to trust you and to follow you each and every day. Our Lord, we bring before you, too, this morning, the reality of what our lives are like. We thank you for the good bits and for the blessings and for the things that lift us up and make us smile. Lord, we thank you for every one of those. But Lord, we also bring before you this morning the bits that are really hard and are giving us sleepless nights and are causing us great pain. And we ask that you'd help us to trust you and to bring those areas of life before you too. Bring them to you, the God and Saviour who knows pain and humiliation and knows our suffering. Thank you that we worship a crucified and risen Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen.